today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, Canada is already one of the top donors to the COVAX facility. That is a global initiative to make vaccines available. And a new influx of cash welcomed by global health advocates who have long pointed out that the virus knows no borders. There's been many uh, conversations as to how this is going to be distributed in certain parts of the world, uh, how it's going to be in, you know distributed in your own town, your own province, uh, other provinces, others Canadian cities, North American cities. And then, of course, from there, uh, the rest of the world, including the developing world. Low-income nations may not receive the vaccine until 2024, we're hearing in some reports. Uh, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Dr. Jason Nickerson, Humanitarian Affairs Advisor for Doctors Without Borders, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, explain to everybody what Doctors Without Borders is. So Doctors Without Borders, is a, we're a medical humanitarian organization. Uh, we provide hands-on uh, medical care in, in roughly 70 countries around the world. Uh, mostly in countries that are affected by armed conflicts, natural disasters, disease epidemics, uh, as well as in refugee camps and, and other kinds of humanitarian emergencies. So obviously lots of challenges as we, we've lived through this uh, pandemic, uh, now into the second wave, COVID fatigue setting in, finally a vaccination or vaccinations are arriving and uh, going through the stages of approval. Timeline is of a concern now as we slowly see these uh, trickle in. Uh, the Prime Minister has said we have uh, a large portfolio and if all of this stuff, if, if we, I guess we decide to exercise all of these options, we can end up with more vaccines vaccine than we actually do citizens. Are we just to assume that nations, when they get into that situation, will then donate or, or make some sort of, uh, uh, create some sort of situation where other less developed nations can receive these? Well, I think that's the, the question of the day. I mean, as you mentioned, Canada has at least options to purchase, uh, as well as some firm commitments to purchase, um, up to 414 million doses of, of COVID vaccines. Um, so, you know, we have a, a, a Canadian population of roughly 38 million people. So we're talking about enough vaccine doses to cover the Canadian population five times over. Um, so that that needs to be uh, viewed in the context of, of uh, a global race for these vaccines uh, as well. Uh, and, and as I'm sure you know, and as your listeners uh, won't be surprised to learn, COVID vaccines are, are in high demand and, and low supply. I mean, yeah. We're talking about vaccines that did not exist uh, mere months ago uh, and now are you know, have gone through the, the steps, or at least some have gone through the steps of clinical trials demonstrating efficacy and safety and, and so on, and now are, are being used in some countries around the world, including in Canada. And um, that's not a global reality uh, for for many people. Uh, and and predominantly what I'm speaking about is, is people who are in uh, low and middle income countries um, who are uh, often uh, at unfortunately at, at the back of the line to to receive uh, new medical technologies like medicines and and vaccines um, and it, there's been a lot of movement and I think it's important to understand this there's there's been a lot of attention that's been paid to um, developing a mechanism for global equitable allocation of, of COVID vaccines to make sure that we get them uh, to the highest risk people 
uh, wherever they are in the world. So frontline healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, uh, you know, support staff, that sort of thing. Um, but unfortunately, it, it's looking like uh, the the path towards equitable access to COVID vaccines uh, we're, we're we're simply just not on on track, and it looks like it's going to be uh, several months, if not years, uh, before uh, people around the world in in low and middle income countries have the same kind of access as, as what we have in Canada. Uh, the fact that, uh, and again, as you said, these are options for orders if you decide to, if we decide to go that way, and nobody knew which ones of these were going to be developed first or, or so on. So obviously it was wise for the government to shoot wide here. But as you mentioned, if the options, with the options, five times the population, just with even those pre-orders on paper or, you know, without them actually being filled yet, does that hamper uh, or hurt other countries in other way in any way well that's that's certainly the the concern um, and it, going back to one of your earlier questions about you know will countries can we assume that countries will will donate these um, there there's not many countries who have explicitly said that 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 they will and and Canada is one of them um, now I think it's important to recognize that earlier this week the Canadian government announced additional funding uh, for the the global covid response and that included a specific announcement to create a mechanism to facilitate these kinds of, of donations um, or exchanges uh, of COVID vaccines from countries that have, have purchased perhaps more than they need. Um, but what I think we need to see is a, a clear commitment, at least in principle, um, to uh, making these kinds of donations so that we don't end up with some countries uh, sitting on a surplus, uh, while other countries uh, simply don't have enough to to vaccinate their their high risk people, and I think that really the the litmus test here of of how well this is going to work is is going to be uh, the answer to the question of of will uh, lower risk people in high income countries be vaccinated before higher risk people in in mm. low income countries, um, and that really becomes the issue, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, you know, what we're talking about are, are frontline healthcare workers. We're talking about uh, people who are at higher risk because they uh, are in overcrowded refugee camps or living in in uh, an armed conflict or or something. I mean, there's a, a number of different things that make somebody at a higher risk uh, for COVID, and and uh, these are the people that are absolutely essential that that we target. And I, I, maybe also just to point out that. You know, access to vaccines is is one tool in the public health toolbox. Um, it's not, uh, as many public health professionals have, have mentioned, um, you know, it's not the only tool that we need to be deploying. Um, but uh, as we look towards what kinds of strategies we need to be implementing to bring in, an end to the pandemic, we, we need to recognize it's not just about COVID. It's also about the secondary impacts of the COVID pandemic on access to all kinds of health services. And we see that in Canada as well with the delay or cancellation of elective surgeries and outpatient clinics and that sort of thing. These, these kinds of cancellations and, and closures of health service are having devastating effects for people uh, around the world in, in places where we work, where access to, to routine health services um, is, is a challenge at the best of times. But now with these additional layers of, of closures and movements on, res- on or restrictions on movement, sorry, um, you know, people's access to, to essential health services uh, has, has really declined in a significant way. So ending the pandemic uh, through access to vaccines and through the implementation of effective uh, public health measures 
it's really a, a, a matter of humanitarian urgency. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Again, at the beginning of all this, nobody knows which one of these are going to come to fruition or if, in fact, they all uh, are. So that being said, should countries like Canada just buy what we need or is um, or is this just being prepared? Well, I mean, we find ourselves in a situation where everybody is trying to coordinate with everyone else on on how to sort of adopt uh, a strategy to to vaccinate high risk people within their their borders, but also uh, globally. I mean, I I think the Canadian government has been quite clear that um, they they support equitable access to to COVID vaccines. And and we've heard the prime minister, as well as many uh, ministers in, in cabinet, you know, the, the, the pandemic doesn't end here until it ends everywhere and, and for everyone. Um, and so the, the, the challenge of doing this is that the global uh, pharmaceutical uh, research and development and manufacturing and, and distribution system is, is simply not set up to facilitate this kind of global equitable access. That's just not how the, the system works. Um, as I mentioned, typically new vaccines and new medicines are launched in in higher income uh wealthier countries first uh, because that's where the sort of most profitable market is uh it's it is typically not in low-income countries and so access uh to new medicines uh, comes with a significant delay for people in in many of the places where we work so in response to that for covid vaccines we saw the creation uh of something called covax which is essentially in a, uh, a mechanism to coordinate and support the research and development of needed COVID vaccines, and then also to uh, find a way of, of incentivizing uh, manufacturers to, to scale up uh, manufacturing uh, so that, you know, it can be purchased with a pool of, of uh, funding. So it's called an advanced market commitment. Um, but that I think it's important to understand that that's a, a mechanism that did not exist before uh, the COVID pandemic, and it's, it's been created over a number of months. So we're really, you know, to use the analogy, we're, we're building the plane as it's, as it's flying. Yeah. And that's in direct response to the fact that this is not how the system typically works. So we've got a, a coordination and distribution mechanism that's being built, uh, you know, basically uh, just in time for, for it to be, to be used. So there's a fundamental problem here that, that needs to be fixed independent of, of covid uh, it's really a, a, a broader question of access to medicines and, and affordable access to, to life-saving medicines and vaccines. And, you know, we've talked at length on this show since this pandemic began of systems that have had to change and how a lot of these changes will continue. For example, just the speed in which this vaccination uh, was developed and then approved is just an incredible uh, an incredible example of silos being torn down and, and, and people working together. So it's very well we could see the same thing when it comes to global distribution of something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that this is the question and the, the this is the conversation that we need to be having uh, as as Canadians. There's a lot of issues that have been put onto the table and into the public discussion in the last month, two months, uh, nine months of, of this pandemic. You know, we've seen everything from uh, at the start asking the question, why don't we have a, a vaccine for coronaviruses through to how clinical trials are conducted, how how. Uh, civil society and governments uh, work to support the, the needed research and development, uh, how, how to engage with industry. 
and so on. And, you know, really a, a truly massive mobilization of, of public funding, including from the Canadian government, who mobilized a, a, a billion dollars of, of public funds, I would say entirely appropriately, uh, to incentivize and support the needed R&D uh, to, to develop COVID vaccines and therapeutics and diagnostics and, and so on. And now we're having a conversation around what kind of biomanufacturing capacity should we have in, in this country? Um, but I think that it's important that we not have these conversations in, in isolation. I mean, we're, we're fundamentally talking about uh, a, a pharmaceutical research and development ecosystem or, or landscape or however you want to think of it. But, you know, we should be having this discussion in, in Canada about how do we support uh, a, a research and development uh, and scientific co collaboration uh, that links sort of public health needs, identifying what are the, the health conditions that we need to prioritize, either because they present a public health threat um, or because there's simply not enough innovation into the kinds of medicines and vaccines uh, to address other kinds of, of health concerns that uh, exist at home and, and abroad. But how do we turn those needs into a, a viable research and development system so that we're incentivizing and supporting uh, the, the development of new medicines and vaccines and then linking that to an effective manufacturing strategy so that at the end we have enough of the kinds of vaccines and medicines that we need at an affordable price uh, for patients to access and how do we you know pivot when we need to to be able to scale up to uh, meet demand both both at home and and globally um, it's a big conversation um, but I think that we've you know, we're, we're we're really shining a light on how um, this entire system works or mm. or or doesn't work, um, and I think that it'd, it'd be a shame to not take advantage of that to to really push for a, a a better system that works more equitably, that delivers more affordable vaccines and medicines, and that responds to public health needs both at home and and around the world. Dr. Jason Nickerson has been with us, Humanitarian Affairs Advisor for Doctors Without Borders, talking about those in less developed countries receiving COVID-19 vaccination and the timeline to make that happen. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Be well. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.